Let me tell you, sometimes when I get to listen to the to the actual audiobook, I'm like, I can pronounce the words. Uh. I will say it's a weird switch that you know how to pronounce everything. I know, I love it. <laughs> I was like, it's me, it's me this time that knows the words. <laughs> Hey guys, here's what's coming up. Next week on June 14th, we will be discussing The Fifth Season by N.K. Jeminson. Then on June 21st, we will be talking about Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, book four of the Harry Potter series. Did you know that for just $5 a month, you'll be eligible to participate in our monthly book picking poll on Patreon? This tier also gets you a shout out every episode just for being awesome and a The Book Life logo sticker you can stick anywhere you want to show off your love of books. We hope you'll consider supporting us if you can, and we're incredibly grateful to all of you for listening in every week. Thank you. Speaking of thank yous, we want to send a huge thank you and shout out to our patron, Ronnie. May you find uninterrupted time to read all week long. Now, on with the show. Welcome back to the Book Life Podcast with your host, myself, Mo, my best friend, Abby. Tonight we are discussing the second book of The Burning, which is a series by a new fantasy author, Evan Winter. This book is called The Fires of Vengeance, and I'm going to jump right into some fun facts about this book. As I said, this is the second book of The Burning, so when we talk about this book, we are going to assume that you have read The Rage of Dragons, which was the first book, which came out in 2017. This new book was just released last year in 2020. Some might be repeating from the Rage of Dragons episode, but I'm not really, I don't think I did it. I found new facts this time. Evan Winter used to be a cinematographer and a director, which makes sense, I think, reading his style, reading um, the way he writes his visuals, makes a lot of sense to me. Oh yeah, for sure. The Rage of Dragons was a self-published novel that gained popularity on Reddit in the subreddit Fantasy, which I thought was really cool that he got enough crowd um, sourcing for Orbit to pick him up and put him on their book role, basically. That's actually really interesting because normally if authors are found, it's not off of Reddit most of the time. Like, Mm -hmm. you're looking at, like, Wattpad and things like that where you actually are, like, writing a book kind of thing. Right. That's really interesting that it's it was a subreddit that, huh. I thought so, too. I was like, good job, Reddit. Sometimes Reddit does good stuff. Sometimes Reddit's kind of scary. So, you know, yeah. point one for Reddit <laughs> this time. Good job, Reddit. <laughs> Fires of Vengeance is dedicated to Evan Winter's dad, who passed away while he wrote this book. So, in the beginning, there's a big dedication to his dad, which I thought was very symbolic, since this book, this whole series has such a deep connection between father and sons and plus Evan Winter wrote this book specifically for his son to have to have um characters who look like him and talk like him who had culture like him as well I don't know I just thought that kind of gave me one of those moments where I was having feelings because it's just a theme that runs through the book is a theme of the first Mm -hmm. book and I was like "Mm." I'm like I'm sorry Mr. Winter I know reading this I stopped and read the dedication first and that just That hurt my heart. Mm-hmm. And this book, as I said, is part of a, is book two of a four-part series. So good news, there's two more books after this. 
Mm, I can't wait to read those. Mm, I know. I was concerned it was just a trilogy, and then I read it was a four-part series. I was like, oh, good, because there's a lot of loose ends. I don't think you can wrap up in the next book. Yeah, I wouldn't want them to... I wouldn't want it to try to wrap up all those loose ends in one book. I think it'll work better as a four part anyways. So. Mm -hmm. I agree. Abby, can you tell us the summary of the fires of vengeance? Sure. The second book of the burning series, we pick up right where the rage of dragons left off desperate to delay an impending attack by the indigenous people of Zitta. Tao and his queen craft a dangerous plan. If Tao succeeds, the queen will have the time she needs to assemble her forces and launch an all-out assault on her own capital city, where her sister is being propped up as the true queen of the Omehi. All right, should we talk characters? We should. I will start the list today. So, of course, the main character is Tao Slarn, who is a vengeance-driven lesser intent on making those he holds responsible for his father's death pay. He has used his ability to enter Ishiogo, where the demons live, to gain fighting skills beyond what anyone of his rank normally could have achieved. This has now led him to become the Queen Sierra's champion. Queen Sierra Omehi is the rightful ruler of the Omehi people. She must now fight for the crown against her own sister, who she believes be held captive by Obisio Dili. And then Obisio Dili, the man Tao holds responsible for his father's death and the champion of Queen Essie. And then there's Essie Omehi, who is Queen Siora's sister and the other, the other queen claiming the crown. Then we have Naya, who is Queen Siora's vizier and the person the queen trusts the most in the world. She's been by Siora's side since she was a child. Then we have Jabari. He is a petty noble that Tao has known since childhood. They were friends for a long time, but Jabari sees Tao as a traitor to him now. Jabari was burned nearly to death during a coup and can't move or speak when we encounter him now. Kellen Okar is a greater noble who sides with Tao and fights alongside him when other nobles would have turned their backs. Hadith is the brains of Scale Jad and a brilliant tactician. He is one of Tao's sword brothers. Uduak is a large and intimidating lesser who is also one of Tao's sword brothers from Scale Jad. And then, of course, we have Kana, who is the son of warlord Achuk, both of whom are Zidin and at odds with Siora's people. Awesome. It's a pretty big cast of characters, I would say. And there's one thing that, not really a spoiler, but I was very sad to see that Kellen Okar was not as big of a character in this book as he was in The Rage of Dragons. Yeah, I expected him to be a bigger player in this book than he ended up being. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, like, and I thought... Well, and we got a pretty good glimpse of Kana in the first book, and it was interesting how Kana turns into this looming figure who, I don't know, like, suddenly, like, we saw him as the man, and then in this book, I feel like he turns into more of the myth. And that was kind of an interesting dynamic to me, because he's he's not, he's not featured at all, but he's definitely very prominent throughout the whole book. And then you had that glimpse of him in the other book. And so it's kind of like trying to mesh those two kind of concepts. I was definitely having some. I was like, okay, okay, I can get with this. Mm -hmm. But yeah. Yeah. 
Well, and as big as this cast is that we've just talked about, there's several people we could not include on this list without spoilers. So Mm -hmm. there's characters we can't even put on this list. This isn't the entire cast. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot. There's so many. Yes. And Ed... Okay, so you have, okay, so I listened to it. So guys, so for once, um, I did the audiobook for this one, and I knew how to pronounce all of the names because this book is so freaking long, you learn how to pronounce the names. Um, how many pages is it? I read the hardcover, which is 528 pages. So definitely, I mean, yeah, so 520 pages translates to about 15 and a half hours for audio. Great audiobook. Mm-hmm. There definitely was a few spots where it was a little um, difficult for me. Sometimes I don't pay attention. If you don't pay attention to this book, you're going to like kind of get screwed over. Because I was like, what is that name? Who is that person? What's going on? Back up, back up, back up. (laughs) That was just me, though. I can see this book definitely being one that you could not just like have on in the background. Mm -mm. It's one you actually have to pay attention to. Yeah. But, and it's also one of those where... For me, for The Rage of Dragons, I actually read that one, so I had a whole glossary in the back, which was really nice. Mm -hmm. But I got that from the library. And they were mentioning, like, all of the different parts of the military, and I'm like, I don't remember what part of the military this is. Who are they talking about? What's going on over here? I'm so confused. (laughs) (laughs) So, that's a disadvantage of the audiobook, guys. But, I mean, the voice acting was great. But I definitely was having, having having some struggles, okay? I'll be real. (laughs) yeah that's understandable because all of the military terms that they use are so different from what we are used to but I mean it's understandable and I like that they're all different but yeah I definitely was referencing that back index because I read the physical hardback that I got from the library so I was definitely like flipping to the back going okay hang on (laughs) I know I know what this is but I need to remember (laughs) my gosh yeah and it wasn't a bad thing, but it was definitely like, I don't know what this is. Oh, well. <laughs> Military jargon and move on. But <laughs> it was definitely great. Cannot wait to talk to you about all the things about this book. And guess what, guys? It's break time. That means when we come back, we are going to talk about our favorite characters, least favorite characters, favorite scenes, least favorite scenes, and our final ratings of the book. And guess what? We're going to spoil this book when we come back. All right, we'll talk to you guys in a minute. This is the Novel Universe with your hostesses, Dawn and Ashley. We rate and review the newest and most buzzworthy books. We are true book club ladies that don't always agree, but we do enjoy a good book discussion. You can find the Novel Universe on Apple, Spotify, and Google, where we post new episodes twice a month. I'm Dawn, the criticizer of books. And I'm Ashley, the fantasy architect. So grab your favorite beverage and join our universe. Welcome back, guys. And remember, this half is spoilers. So if you have not read The Rage of Dragons and The Fires of Vengeance, you're going to want to click away right now because we are going to spoil everything. Mm-hmm. All right, let's start. One of our favorite places, favorite characters. Go. Okay, good. All right. So I definitely, I wasn't sure I was going to like her, but I really liked her. So Queen Siora. Man, like, 
at the end of the Rage Dragons, I was kind of like, I'm like, oh, I'm like, mm, you're a little... I don't know about this because Tao just lost Suri. And I was like, I'm like, he's so upset, but he, but you asked him to be a champion. And then like Naya kept hinting, Oh, you must do champion duties. And Tao's like, what the crap are you trying to tell me lady? And then like Sierra's trying to flirt with him. And I was like, Sierra, stop. That's, that's cringe. You gotta stop doing that kind of stuff. But besides that weird dynamic going on in the beginning, I liked her as a leader. Um, I thought she was very interesting. She was very, I mean, like, for one, she was powerful, like not only in like as a queen and her presence, but she was powerful, like with her magic, too. And I was like, damn, she's going to kick some ass. And she didn't let anyone walk all over her like it was Queen Ciara's way or not. Like, that's how it was going to be. She did kind of listen to Naya when it suited her. Uh, she did listen to Tao well. There were definitely times where she was like, yeah, yeah, you know, maybe. But I really do like how they started leaning into one another. And I liked how she, I think her agenda is that she wants to actually unite the Omehi people, the nobles and the lessers into a true one, one people. And just one of my favorite things was, I mean, I'm going to talk about this in the favorite scenes too, is her just telling the story of the um, Omehi before they came to Zeta, about the call, how they became one people. I love that whole part of the book. When they're traveling from town to town to gather all of the warriors, and then Tao and her just get spent with time together, and they start getting closer. I mean, come on. Like, how can you complain when two people get closer together because of a story? Mm-hmm. I liked it. I was also very fond of Hadith and Udawak as a duo. I liked them as individuals and... The Rage of Dragons, but in this one, like they really come together as a pair. Like Kedith is smart. He's very savvy. He understands when, you know, how to take a calculated risk. He's just a great military leader, and he's just loyal to Tao. And then I appreciated, like, if he was the sun, Uwak was the moon, kind of a thing. Like they're very much a. They're, you know, they're very opposite one another because Uduak is a quiet strength, man of little words. You know, Hadith is very flowery and talks a whole bunch. Da, 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 da. And Uduak is like, yes, that's it. And, and then, you know, and then they kind of like slowly lean into one another. And then suddenly you find out, well, you find out because Tao's the main character, that they're a couple. And Tao's like, what? Like, what's going on? And you're like, oh, it makes sense. I'll be honest, it cracked me up when, like, Tao had that realization. I'm like, dude. <laughs> dude. I thought it was funny. <laughs> they weren't being super subtle about this. Whew, over Tao's head it went. Oh, there's so much stuff that goes over Tao's head. I know, poor guy. <laughs> but yeah, I was glad that we got to see the, the dynamic of them as a couple to see more of their personalities come out. I love Tao's sword brothers. I love them. And then, of course, I have a new duo that popped up. That They're not a duo as a couple, but a duo as in the Queen's handmaidens. And I'm like, who are these ladies? Their names are Aset and Ramya. And basically, in this society, women are not supposed to be warriors. They are they are the queens, the nobles, but they don't fight. That's that's beneath them. The men fight for the ladies. Because remember, this is a queendom. Everything is ruled by the monarchy. Monarchy? 
Matriarch. Not patriarchy. Matriarchy. The matriarchy, yeah. So I got my words right here. So instead, we get to see when they come up and meet Tal for the first time, Tal's like, something seems strange about these ladies. And, like, when they take out their weapons, he's like, what the crap is going on? He's like, only the Zitta women fight next to their men. Well, who are these? And the queen's like, yes, these are my handmaidens. No one suspects them, and they're going to kill whoever comes and tries to mess with me. And you're like, oh, yeah, these are nice bodyguards. Um, and then I love how they became part of Tao's special fighting group. And, you know, it takes them, like, two seconds to be like, whoop. They got weapons? Good. Let's join me. Sounds great. Let's all be warriors together. I know I was like really like silly, but I really like them. I, I like <laughs> I like the whole little warrior crew that Tao got together. I loved the handmaidens too. What cracked me up is that by like the second time we hear the queen going, Where are my handmaidens? Like, how far away are they? Because they're coming from another city and it's taking them a little while. And so, like, by the second time she's asking for an update on their whereabouts, I'm like, I bet these are bodyguards. I'll bet anything these are bo- going to be bodyguards. <laughs> it's like, and then why else should be, would she be that worried about, quote, handmaidens? Like, <laughs> there's literally no other reason. <laughs> and then, of course, they show up and they're warriors and Tao's like, uh, I'm like, Tao, Tao, you need to jump a little higher and catch these things. There's too many things flying over your head. I mean, Tao even admits, because, like, he's like, I, because, you know, the queen was like, I need someone to leave my army. He's like, oh, not me. I am not the smartest crayon in the box. Hadith, however, is great. Not me. I mean, he admits he's not the, the brightest crayon, the sharpest crayon. Yeah. That also did crack me up. I'm like, I'm so glad he just like upri- straight up refused to be a general. He's like, no, no, you can't make me a general. That will go badly. Stop. <laughs> uh, it's not me. Yep. <laughs> Who else did you enjoy besides uh, the handmaidens? So I am with you on Hadith and Uduak as well. I absolutely adore their duo. They're the scary teddy bear and the smaller very smart one and I just I love seeing that duo duo in pretty much any setting because it's just like it's that polar opposites cover each other's backs and make up for each other's weaknesses kind of thing like scary teddy bear may not have all the brains but that's okay because his partner in crime over here has the brains to make up for it yep and you know Brains guy doesn't have the brawn, but that's what you got Scary Teddy Bear for. <laughs> so yes, I I love Hadith and Uduak. I love their dynamic. I was not at all surprised when Tao finally realized that they were a couple. <laughs> I was like, oh, hey, look, another thing that he missed. <laughs> and then I also like the handmaidens, like I said. Um, I agree that Queen Soria was a very good leader and a very interesting character. But personally, I really liked Naya, the queen's vizier. I had a bad feeling she was going to die as soon as they told me she had a daughter. And she died. Spoilers, she dies. But I really 
loved her loyalty to the queen just like to the bitter end and when she even like tries to warn Tao off when she thought she needed to and just trying to do everything she can for her queen and I just really appreciate that Soria had this one person who was that loyal to her this entire time you know because not all monarchs in fantasy books have that at least one person who's actually loyal to them kind of thing that they can trust entirely so or doesn't just want the throne right exactly so I really appreciated that especially with all of the backstabbing and side switching that goes on and how many people Soria loses and all that it's just it was nice to see this one like pillar of loyalty in her life (laughs) just just one of you thank goodness (laughs) is okay (laughs) I just need one person that I don't have to worry about that's it (laughs) I also really appreciated Naya's daughter and how after night like how Tao and Sierra step up to take care of her like I feel like there's gonna be she's gonna be like an adopted daughter kind of a vibe happening Mm mm-hmm Oh, 100%. I knew that was happening. Mm-hmm. As soon as Naya died, I'm like, well, Tao has a kid now. <laughs> yep, pretty much. Which is, which is great. That's fine. Maybe it'll curb the whole vengeance thing. Maybe. We'll see. <laughs> I hope so. All right. Well, what about your least favorite characters while you're on a roll? Tao's mother. <sighs> the woman needs to do this. Jump off a cliff and die. That's what she needs to do. I got lots of feelings. No one wants her around. She's pointless. She's selfish. She doesn't give two craps about Tao. Just what he can do for her. And literally every time she showed up, I just wanted to start throwing things at her. Like, go away. You're pointless. You're pointless drama. I don't like you. Be gone. I, I was so mad that Tao continued to let her be in his life. What is the purpose of this woman other than to leech off the son she doesn't want? I don't know. I was so disappointed in her because I, I too, did not like her. Like, Tell literally moved the entire army to rush over to his hometown. And Sierra was like, yes, let's go do it. Let's go make sure your family's okay because Connor was on the move to coming to get them. And he gets there and he sees his mom's husband, which they don't call him a stepfather, but his Mom's husband, um, McKenna, has been brutally killed. His sister was brutally killed. And his mom had to watch it all. And she was just like, you better make sure, like, how dare you you be the one that's alive. You make sure that they all burn for this. Like, the fact that she wasn't even grateful that he was alive, it just shows how little she valued him, you know? And I hated that. So part of the problem is that... Tao cuts off the warlord's head in front of his son. So Kenna becomes a worse version of Tao, basically. And takes this army to Tao's hometown to kill what family he has left. So Tao is responsible, in part, because he's the one that sent Kana down this path. And don't get me wrong, I understand Tao's reasoning for cutting off the warlord's head and showing it to Kana like he did. But it was the wrong decision. Because that set Kana off 
and doing that led to this chain of events. So as much as I hate his mother, I can understand why she blames Tao and basically says, you have to fix this. You have to get revenge. I get that. She's still a selfish and horrible person because she never wanted anything to do with Tao to begin with. She left his father for a guy who was higher rank or whatever and had her daughter with him. And daughters are considered better, I guess, because it's a matriarchy system. So she had her daughter. So what would she need with a useless son from her previous marriage to a lesser guy? So it's like she had so little use for him to begin with. It's her own fault as far as that goes. I don't blame her for holding Tao accountable because Tao is in part responsible, but she's, she's a horrible person. She's just straight up a horrible person. Mm-hmm. Yep. I do not like her. I, I found no redeeming, maybe one redeeming. She did take care of Naya's daughter while they had to go deal with everything. Yeah. Slightly redeeming, not much, just a tiny little bit there. Not but, really redeeming, more showing that her heart yes. isn't completely black. <laughs> Yeah, something, something. But besides her, oh, I had I I had some, I had something going on with Essie and Odilly. Like, I can't just. I I went back and forth, but once we got into Essie's point of view and everything, and like watching how, I'm like, did Odilly take advantage of her? Did he actually love her? Because like he got her pregnant, you know. And I was like, what is going on here? What is this? But then, like, not just that. Like, there's a deeper level. And Essie's childhood stemming from their mom. Because, basically, we find out to be considered to be queen, you have to, you get pushed into Ishiogo. And you have to basically be able to hide yourself from the demons. And they just kept pushing Essie into it. And essentially made her go crazy because she couldn't put a shroud over herself and protect herself like Ciara could. And she, you know, we don't get to see their childhood. We only get to see the flashbacks of, you know, sometimes kids are awful on one another. Maybe Ciara did have a big head and did treat her like crap. And she's carrying that weight on her as well. But she also has like this P- this PTSD from being thrushed into Shiogo. Um, has a complex because she was the firstborn, but she didn't get to be the queen because she doesn't have the power, and Sierra does, even though they're twins, so technically kind of born at the same time, but she came out first, whatever. Then she's like, you know, my sister stole my name. And just like all of this major baggage gets dumped on you, and I'm like, okay, Essie, you got some crazy going on here? And I honestly believe, because, you know, I feel like Sierra does care about her, does love her, and maybe she was naive and blinded about how Essie really felt. And that's how Essie fell in line with Odile and then fell in love with him. And like, I was having some mind tripping when we got in that whole thing. And I was like, we're here to save Essie. But wait, Essie is like, I am the queen. But she's crazy and she's hearing voices. But, but what? And then, like, Sierra, I, I mean, I was having, like, some moments where I couldn't decide, do I still like Sierra? 
do I not? Is she just being patronizing to Essie? Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I guess this transitions us very nicely into uh, talking about scenes because I had a whole lot to, I have a whole lot of stuff about this. <laughs> so okay, yeah, I loved this whole section that's told from Essie's point of view. And it basically left me feeling like it was just, it was heartbreaking for me finding out that she was pregnant and then her killing herself and finding out that they forced her into Isihogo. And even after they knew she didn't have the talent, they kept forcing her to go like that, that child that's torturing a child. Yeah. Like, what the hell that's torturing a child you know she doesn't have the gift so let it go (laughs) it made me so mad i was so mad at those priestesses at her mom i'm like guys she's not getting it she doesn't have she she can't do it stop it just stop you're trashing this kid right exactly so like i was pissed off at their mother because i mean if you took both my kids and were doing that to them and one of them obviously didn't have the talent, I'd be like, um, excuse me, you're not going to be sending that one in anymore because it's very clear that they can't do the thing you're trying to get them to do. So what the hell? Like, my mama bear would have come out. I wouldn't have let them do that. Just like, who lets their, who lets that happen to their kid? Especially since the queen has that power. So she knows what it's like. Mm-hmm. Why, why would you subject your own child to that? Right. And then Essie's chapters left me feeling genuinely like neither of the sisters is actually fully sane. Ooh. Like, I don't feel like either of them actually has all their bolts tightened down, you know? And I I do believe it's in different degrees and in different ways, but I don't feel like either of them is 100% sane. I mean, how could you be? Like, even the priestesses who go into Ishiogo, you know, like, because that place trips you up. Mm-hmm, exactly. I think it just was more pronounced with Essie with hearing the voices and everything because she didn't have the talent. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like with Tao, you know, Tao was able to harness it and and learn how to suffer being ripped apart by demons versus you're asking a small child to do the same thing versus a grown, meh, he's 18-ish, right? Grown man, we'll call him a grown man at this point, you know, like. Right, somebody who has adult capabilities to make choices like that versus a child is a completely different situation. And I think... I definitely think Essie was slightly more, slightly less sane than Siora is, but I don't think either of them is a hundred percent there. I, I, I can agree with that now. I did not have that perspective. And he said, I was like, Oh, Abby's onto something. Mm -hmm. It was just more pronounced with Essie because she didn't have the gift and they kept forcing her to go where all these demons were constantly killing her every time. So it's just, and I don't know, I'm I'm of the opinion that Odile did genuinely love her. I feel like if they had been given a chance, if Essie had been a little bit more sane, 
and not been insisting on being queen, I feel like they could have gone off and actually had a happy life, you know? Mm-hmm. But circumstances being what they were, it wasn't going to end well for either of them. It just wasn't. Even if Essie hadn't killed herself, the fact that she was hearing voices and she was pregnant with a now dead man's child, like... I just, I can't see that ending well for her. I don't know. It just, it, that whole scene was so heavy. Also, that whole scene had a whole lot of crazy going on. Well, and it was interesting seeing Tao from Essie's point of view, too. Because she sees Odile as this very caring a man who's like the epitome of what a champion and a warrior should be. And he's just absolutely wonderful and perfect. And then she sees Tao and she's like, holy beep, that's a demon. Oh, yeah. And then you think, well, she would know, wouldn't she? Um, So that's a slightly terrifying image. (laughs) And honestly, seeing her perspective of Tao made me rethink how I feel about Tao. Hmm. Like, this is not a story of good versus bad. It's just not. This is a story of revenge and vengeance and how it can wrap a person up and change them. And so Tao's not really, not really bad, but he's not particularly good either, you know? Yeah, he's just kind of, yeah. Yeah, he's very, he's very gray. Like, very gray. There's no black or white at all. It's just very, I mean, and that's okay. I kind of like that it's gray because sometimes you get into these books where you don't get flawed heroes or flawed villains. You just kind of get the cookie cutter Mary Sue. But here we have very much a, he is tormented. He is lost. He's just has no idea what the hell he's going to do. I mean, he, he even said, Odile's gone, now what's my purpose? You know? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, and so often, when you get these battle-heavy fantasy books, it's some form of good versus evil as, like, the core conflict. But that's not remotely the core conflict in these, and I really like that. I really like that it's not your average fantasy book with the core conflict. It's different. It's awesome. It is. All right. So um, what scenes did you like? Well, primarily my favorite scene was the battle between the two queens. And I say that so, you know, we start out, they get to Palm City. They're outside the gate. Queen Sierra has this whole army behind her. And then Queen Essie comes out with Odile. I think Odile is with her. And, you know, they meet face to face. And you see that Sierra is trying to reason with Essie, try to talk to Essie. And and she realizes Essie's not being held captive. Essie is a part of the problem. And you just see that realization. She's like, well, shoot. What am I going to do now? You know, and they had this big, big old plan happening. Big old sneaky, sneaky things going on but basically they're sabotaged because their priestesses get captured the shadow council which is like her spy network is all 
you know, wiped out. They have them hanging from the town's walls, and they retire for the night. Okay, well, they don't typically fight, you know, at night. They fight during the day. Mm-hmm. Well, then Queen Essie's army comes. They comes with three dragons, and Queen Sierra's like, well, shoot, you know, they're wiping out my army. Time to call my own dragons, right? So we get to see this huge epic battle, and we only get to see it from Tao's point of view. We don't get to see everything else happening around them, but we get to see Tao and his warriors going to Ishiogo to protect the priestesses, to protect the queen, so that way keeping them safe from the demons so they can hold on to the dragons as long as possible. And just that whole thing where suddenly these priestesses from Queen Essie's group are rushing the queen's I forgot what they call it, but we'll call it a circle, her circle of um, priestesses. And they take off their shrouds and they're just drawing all the demons to them. And you're just like, well, good. These priestesses just sacrificed themselves and now they're calling all of the demons in this place to come kill the queen. That was like a terrifying scene just to listen to. You can just like, the voice actor was so good because he definitely like embodied Tao's fear for the queen. Mm-hmm. I was so immersed in this whole battle and i loved it i loved the visuals the emotions the conflict everything throughout this whole to the very end where naya's killed because she took you know the control of the dragon from the queen so the queen could escape gosh like so well written just 100 percent love that entire thing yeah that was a very well written one so good and then I also, like, before all that happens, like, that was my, like, that was the epitome of awesomeness of this book. I love the quietness between Tao and the Queen, where she's telling them the history of the Omehi and how back in wherever they're from, I, you know, before the call came, that they knew that that these were two separate people who had emerged into one to stand together or else they would have been killed. And how the first Queen of the Omehi achieved this. But she essentially, because we learn that Tao's people, the lessers, they're the ones who have the ability to go into Ishiogo and to control it and to have shrouds. And, you know, they're the ones with the magic versus the nobles are just greater stamina, greater strength, bigger people. And yet the queen allows the greaters to basically suppress her people so that they can merge together and survive. Like, it was like, she's like, I have to sacrifice my people so we can stand together. And just that realization that, you know, if we are separate, we're going to fall. And this is what we have to do. I just love that. I love that history. I love all that background. It made so much sense of how they came together and just how diluted and outdated the greater's point of views are because Essie the whole thing is like Essie's people are fighting to keep this way of life because they want to continue to have the noble standing above the lessers versus Queen Sierra is like I don't really care there's a bigger threat guys let's get her together and, and unite come on you know yeah yeah I loved that whole history section it was fascinating finding out the real history behind everything because like all you really have in the first book is hearsay and what the lessers know 
And then you get all of this that only the queens know. And it's so different. Mm -hmm. So good. So the other scene we need to talk about, the ending. (laughs) That's true. Okay, yes. The ending was... (laughs) I was not expecting that ending to happen, honestly. I know, that one kind of came out of nowhere, and I went, oh, so that's where we're going with book three. Okay. (laughs) Just the fact where I was like, there's like 15 minutes left. What is this twist you're putting in here? I only got 15 minutes left of this audiobook. Yes. (laughs) I know, I was getting like very low on pages, and all of a sudden, hey, the calls show up. Oh, okay. Not what you expected. Uh, no, but I am very excited for the third book. I agree. It's going to be, it's going to be wicked. All right. So least favorite scenes. Mm, I think for me, I can't even say it's a scene. It's more like, and I struggled with the beginning of the Rage of Dragons as well. I struggled with the slow build-up, slow burn that is the Fires of Vengeance. And I was like, I was like, do, 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 do. Here we are. We're sitting next to Jabari and he's healing. Okay, that's nice. Okay, so we have some political plot going on. Okay, sounds good. Oh, Talcian demons. Okay, yeah. So, you know, it was just kind of like, we're kind of strolling through the plot. I was like, all right, I'm kind of bored, guys. Let's get going. But that's how Rage of Dragons was for me as well. Like, I don't know if it's me or if if it's just a slow start. You know what I mean? I don't know. I think it's just you because I enjoyed those opening scenes. So it was kind of like there was this giant battle at the end of the first book and now everybody's taking a breath and recouping a little and just like trying to figure out where we're going next and that's you you need those lulls between battles otherwise your characters aren't going to make it through the next battle i mean okay yes but i was definitely just kind of like just just waiting for it to go you know what i mean Mm -hmm. i just didn't have that (laughs) that patience that's fair all right so what else i think also for me uh, I don't know. So I kind of read a brutal book before this called The Poppy Wars, which was really good. And it was kind of a, I thought it was a young adult uh, fantasy novel, but really it's probably more like 18, like 18 to 22, like young adult versus like high school young adult that I was thinking. But these books I've been reading, these fantasy novels with war um, themes, are been so brutal. When Tao is walking up to his homeland or his homeland, his hometown, and it's like the lot, the roads are just lined with these bodies, and it just kind of brought me back to the other book, and I was like, God, I'm so tired of reading about brutality and torture and mutilation, uh, which I know, that's how war books are, so I really should not be complaining about the nature of the book that I'm reading, but I also... I mean, I've also been reading Holocaust novels. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm picking this theme of book that I really need to stop picking where we have this brutality happening because mm-hmm. it's kind of burning me out. So that's just a me thing. So I just did not like going up to Tao's home and just seeing everyone he knows dead, essentially. But you know what? That would not have happened if Tao had not been an idiot and just killed Kana. That was a stupid move. 
I'm sorry that you had some kind of kinship with him, Tal, but seriously, you should not have brutally killed his dad, or you should just kill him. The end. Yeah, I hated that scene where he saws off the warlord's head and holds it up and throws it at Connor or whatever. It's like, one, stupid decision. Stupid decision. Two, so stupid. You have just... He, that's the scene where he made Kana into a worse version of himself. Mm-hmm. Like, that was the dumbest thing you possibly could have done at that moment, Tao. There's just no two ways around that. I know. I So many feelings about that. Like, I'm like... Yeah. I get, anyway. How about for you? How about your least favorite scenes? <laughs> well, other than Tao hacking off the warlord's head... My the other scenes that I didn't really like were the early scenes of Siora hitting on Tao and making passes that go right over his head and or trying to flirt and having him just like dodge it like a sword swing. <laughs> What's going um, on? <laughs> I just they made me cringe. Like back off, lady. He just watched the love of his life burn to death. Give him some breathing room, yeah? Like, I know... Apparently not. Apparently he doesn't get that. See, that's one of the other things that made me think Siora wasn't 100% sane because she had built up in her head that Tao was going to be, like, that other champion of the other first queen. Mm-hmm. And that she was going to be, like, the first queen and they were going to have a relationship like that. Before she even really knew him. She had that in her head, and that's why she started flirting with him and everything. And I was like, lady, lady, uh, you need to get your head out of your butt and actually pay attention to this guy that you are projecting your fantasies on. Because, oh, you're making me cringe with that one. Oh, my God. It was just like all those early scenes of that was just like, for the love of God, back off. This is not necessary. This is cringy. This is terrible. Stop. <laughs> as, as not a fan of, in the beginning, I was just like, please, please stop. Please stop. I'm cringing so hard. Please stop. <laughs> oh my God. I will say that in the end, I didn't hate Tal and the Queen getting together, together like I thought it would. Minus the cringe uh, early on. It was built up well overall, and I'm glad that Tao didn't just immediately jump into it. It wasn't, like, shoved down our throats, like, you have to like this. Like, he he let us, like, get used to the idea and didn't really have them get together until right at the end there. So I appreciate the time he took for that, because this book takes takes place over several months. So I still think it's too soon for Tao to be moving on. But that's also my personal opinion. Some people use relationships to help them move on. I'm not saying that's a good, healthy thing to do, but Tao is not really a good, healthy person to be following. But I am super interested to see how the demons breaking into the world and the call come into play in the next book. Because, oh boy, the, (laughs) the demons breaking in to... Our world is uh, terrifying. terrifying. Yep, absolutely terrifying. <laughs> but will be interesting, right? 
it will be very interesting. Mm. So I gave this book five stars out of five. I absolutely loved it. What about you? Gave it a four and a half out of five. I can't say it was like the most amazing book I've ever read in my whole life, which is my five out of fives. But it's a great book. Fantastic book. It's definitely for me. So the Rage or um, the Rage of Dragons is a book I like to give people now. So to me, Rage of Dragons is a five out of five. That is, if you are a giftable book, you get five stars. Not quite as giftable with this one. But it was great. I cannot wait for the next book. I am so glad there's two more because I need the story completely fleshed out. The coal are so chilling and I just cannot wait to see where that goes. Like, you know, in the end, we are approached by some Zinedine shaman and I'm like, okay, so we're going to have a small alliance going on because he's like kind of cuckoo, yo, but uh, we need to protect ourselves against these crazy people. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, mm-hmm. yep. And I really want to see where Tal and the Queen go and how their relationship grows. I'm going to be so pissed if one of them dies, by the way, because (laughs) I need to see some other relationship before someone gets killed. Yeah, I agree. Now that they finally got together, you got to give us some of the relationship at least. Right. We are so glad you all joined us tonight, and we will see you again next week. Talk to you next week, guys. Bye. If you liked what you heard today and want to help us spread the book love, drop us a rating or review on the app you use, or share the episode post on your preferred social media. Everything helps. You can also check out our Patreon for some awesome perks, like access to our mini-series, a monthly guaranteed episode poll, and much more. You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter under the name The Book Life Podcast. If you'd like to contact us directly, you can email us at thebooklifepodcast at gmail.com. The song is Theme for an Unmade Anime by C8 Benoit from their album Dominique. You can find them on Instagram at C underscore A underscore B-E-N-O-I-T. That's C-A Benoit. And on Spotify under their name, Katie Benoit. Thanks for listening. Till next time.